Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship Cypress, a community that's radically focused on Jesus. Advent is a season for reflective preparation to celebrate the coming of Jesus. During this season, we desire to grow as followers and disciples of the light of the world. Join us for this week's lesson as we learn and pray to be more like Christ. Amen. Thank you guys for leading us. Well, it's another Sunday, sitting in church, you have some expectation about what's about to happen. The thing about church is this, is that if it's, if it does what it's supposed to, what'll happen is that all those hard scales of pride and ego fall off and we leave a little more raw, softened to the spirit of God to go live a life that reflects the goodness and grace that he's offered us in his son, Jesus. Is that what you came expecting? It must be what we expect when we come to meet with God. And humility is not the way that we um, work in the world, right? This is not like the general MO of the world because how else will we get ahead? Last week, we talked about hope and unity. We've been using Philippians chapter two to walk us through the Advent season. It's a little different take than we normally would. We'll get to the Christmas story, I promise. But this is the Christmas story after all, just from a different angle. Talked about how we have a hope that Jesus brings us hope by how he unifies people who are not the same and who think and see things differently and that If he could bring that type of unity, we could have hope. Tonight, we're going to talk about how the humility of Christ brings peace. How the humility of Christ brings peace. I love a good story of sacrifice, surrender. We like this. We see these videos about how, right, you see these great YouTube videos or whatever you're watching, and it's how somebody... Somebody gave something away that was theirs to somebody else who needed it more, right? There's a scene in Aladdin, the wonderful work of art. (laughs) Look, it's a great story, right? He steals the bread and what does he do? He gives some to Abu. Like, oh man, that's great. Or there's even more compelling stories, right? I've heard of a story where there's a, uh, it was a father and they crashed their car and it was in the snow, it was in the middle of winter. And they got themselves out of the car and they found a cave, a warm cave. And so the father puts his children in the cave and he faces them and they lie down to sleep with his back to the cold. And when they find them, the kids are alive and the father has given his life to keep his kids alive. Right? Goosebumps. And they're wonderful, right? Because somewhere in us we realize that this may be the way that we should live our life, but it's not, the, it's not the example that we have in the world in general, right? We see glimpses. We see glimpses. We enjoy those moments because it reaches down into a part of us that's not the normal way. As Christians, this thing that we see, this Caring about somebody else more than yourself 
right? We know intrinsically this is how we're supposed to live. And what's interesting, this thing is what keeps unbelievers from believing us when we don't operate in humility, when we don't operate for the benefit of another before ourselves. Right, I think about this. When there's one bathroom and two kids, let me talk to the youngsters in the room. Or some of you who remember this growing up. Maybe you had one bathroom. We didn't have five bathrooms like we do now in our homes, right? Where everybody gets their own, right? But when you have one bathroom and there's three kids, who gets it first, right? It's the one who can beat the other two up. That's who gets it first. Or how do you ever, how many lines do you stand in a week? Right? Stand in lines. You know how this works. Nobody's given up their spot for somebody else. You know how you go. You go to Costco. You go to H-E-B. Everybody looks at who, who has what, right? And if you have one item and somebody has 27 in the 25 or less line, you're like, uh, you look at them and you look at their cart and you look at your thing and you look at them and you expect them to what? Let you go in front. Now, if you have 27 items in the 25 or less line and you look at your, and you see them looking at you and you give them like, hey, how's it going? Don't even think about it. Like I've got my items. Take it to the, take it to, take it to the, let's take it to the road because this is where the great equalizer is. Let's take it to the road. Houston, Texas, right? The worst drivers on the earth. Yeah, start getting some amens now, huh? Now we're talking. There's a principle of merging. It's a very simple principle of merging. Here's how it works. If you've, if you've, ever, if you've ever shuffled a, a deck of cards, right? One, 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 one. Here's the problem. We don't want anybody to go in front of us. So we're looking and we're like, you know, you know when you go and you're about and you're too, it's a little close. What do you do when it's a little too close to tell who goes first, even though you know it's their turn? Well, you're like, speed up and you swerve to make sure you have more room to get in there. But when you're the one who needs to get in, what is your expectation? To like this person, they don't know how to merge. What's wrong with this person? Other centeredness is not celebrated or encouraged at all in the world in which we live. To care more about another human being before yourself is not what we teach in schools. It's not what we show in the home. It's not how we operate on a daily basis. Now, as Christians, we all do that, right? But not everybody else. So this will be a refresher for you, an opportunity for you to teach somebody else. Just want to remind you of what it says. You can turn to Philippians chapter two. See, because this thing as you turn, this quality of Christ and of those who, who say we follow him, this thing that we are asked to do is one of the most difficult things to implement because it means that we have to get rid of something that we all have in spades, which is pride, ego, and arrogance. The coming of Christ offered the world something different. Right? When Jesus came, he flipped the whole thing on its head. 
The world was one way. Jesus came and said, no, it's actually like this. The kingdom of God is like this. And he flips everything on its head. And as we're going through this chapter, we're going to take this, this piece, verses three to five today. And we're going to walk through this section of two, the, the title of this chapter, it's not in the original text, there's no titles and chapters and all those things, but in our Bible, this is an example of Christ's humility, this whole section, and today we're gonna get into this. I'll read from where we read last week and then we'll jump in. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And here we go, verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I realize there's a comma, not a period. We're gonna continue next week in the next rest of the sentence. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing. What is, so what does that mean? What does that cover? What does that cover, right? Do nothing. Okay, well, so in our speech, in our marriages, in our, in our singleness, in our friendships, in our relationship with enemies, with our bosses and our, our kids, with our teachers, with our students, right? With our buddies on the golf course, with our friends at the salon, right? Do nothing. We're in the grocery line, at the store, when we're in traffic, when we're at Disneyland or Dollywood. I don't know where you go. I don't know what your thing is. Do nothing. Now, there's no qualifiers or exceptions here, right, about how you feel or about whether it's fair. It doesn't say anything about that here. It just says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. These words here, selfish ambition. This is about <clears throat> your motives, right? This has to do with trying to influence others for personal gain or agenda. Think about, think about the leaders, the people that are in, uh, over us, right? Or maybe you are a leader, right? You have a position. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do we use our spheres of influence to influence others for whose gain? Selfish ambition would say, the things that I do are motivated by self-promotion or to get myself ahead or to make sure that I get what I need or want. And he says, don't do that, Paul says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Jesus having the ultimate authority, right? He didn't use his position for what he wanted. This is, what we're, this is what we're getting at in all of this. I want you to think this scripture through. When it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, you go, well, what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus, having the opportunity and right to assert his authority and position, actually said, no, I won't do what I'm doing to gain anything for myself, but it will be for something else and someone else. Okay, so the first thing, we do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Conceit. In the NIV, it says vain conceit. It's empty pride. It's, it's unbridled self-centeredness or selfishness. 
Right? So he says, don't do anything to influence others to get what you want or need. Don't do anything out of this empty pride, believing that somehow you deserve what you are going to get. We live in this terrible era. I'm going to speak to the young people in the room of gross entitlement where we believe, not you, but people that you know, where we believe that we deserve every single thing that our hearts desire and that it's not fair if we don't get it and that others should be responsible to give us what we want all the time, every time. Spoiler alert, it is not written in the Bible that that's what you should ask for or expect. If you are a Christian, now the world will say that and we expect the world to do whatever they want, that's cool. As believers, Paul's writing to this church in Philippi and we're reading it for us to say, we don't operate that way. We don't operate in a way that believes that we deserve and entitled to get what we want all the time. And we don't believe that we should operate in a way that we use what we have to influence others to get what we want. What's another way to read this? He goes on, he says, but, right, the converse, the other side of this, in humility, humility. This is tough, humility. Like the concept, but the acting in this is difficult. Because the sin of pride has been from the beginning. The sin of self-centeredness has been from the beginning. The, that sin that says that we deserve and expect what we want and get has been from the beginning. It's not just a cultural now thing. This is a from the beginning problem. We all have it. It might look a little different for you. Humility, but in humility, which means to be low, to lower oneself, to stoop down is what the Greek says. What we do, humility is that thing. It doesn't take away who you are. It doesn't take away your comfort. It doesn't take away your position. It doesn't take away what you have or who you are. It doesn't take any of those. It's the idea that you are so confident in that that you don't need it. And you're able to stoop down to lower yourself so that others might be lifted up, so that others might be cared for, so that others would go first. Humility says, I know who I am, where I am, what I am, and what I have, but I don't need it to, for worth and value, so it doesn't really matter because this is more important, right? Whatever that thing or person is. To lower oneself, when you say, how did Jesus do it? Well, Jesus tells us how he did it. We'll read, you'll hear this a lot over the next few weeks. He had position, equality with God. What did he do? He lowered himself to become servant of all. In humility, he says, what do we do in humility? Not out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, count or consider others more significant than yourselves. And you're like, okay. I was tracking, right? I was tracking until now. In humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Now, what you might hear is that I'm not significant. 
You mean I have to not be significant? It doesn't say that at all. It doesn't have anything to do with your value, worth, or significance because that is intrinsically given to you by God. You are a wonderful work of God. I've said this a zillion times and I'll say it till you believe me. Psalm 139, David acknowledges, I am a wonderful work of God. I know that full well. It means that no one, no system or person or people can tell you that you are insignificant because God built you in his image. That's all the significance that you need. In fact, you can't get more significant than that. The fact that God would send his son Jesus Christ to the earth to die on the cross for your sins further affirms your significance. Because a person's value and worth is what? What somebody will pay for you. In our, in our world, something is as valuable. Let's say the housing market, for instance. We all love where it's headed. Right? A house is as valuable not as what you list it for, but what somebody is willing to pay for it. Yeah. Man, my house is worth a million dollars to me. That's great. Others would disagree. So the value of my house is actually only what somebody will pay for it. If you want to know your significance, before I get to this verse here, a life for a life, the blood of Christ for your sin. You can't get more significant than that. Greater love has no man than this, that somebody lay his life down for his friends. Your significance is wrapped up in that, that you are made in the image of God and that Christ would give his life for you. So when it says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves, it doesn't mean that you are insignificant. It just means that you don't need to be more significant than everybody else. You don't have to assert your significance to take care of other people. And we overestimate our significance all the time based on our actions and behavior, right? When you cut in line, you don't let the person, you are more significant, I'm going first. No, I get the bathroom first, I'm more significant. Right? Right, I don't care about your one item, I'm more significant, I have things to do, people to see, places to go. You know? Look, I know the kids need food, but I just, I have to buy this rifle, I'm gonna hunt, babe. Look, I know that some people don't have any clothes, but I need one more outfit. That one wasn't as funny as the first one. I'm sorry. I thought I was just right in line along the way. That got zero laughs. And it's because it's true. It's because it's true. Look, I know that I have last year's model, but this year's model will make everybody think I'm more significant. And I'm not smacking. Look, I know we're all Americans and we're fat and happy and we have so much stuff. We don't know what to do with ourselves and we don't want to talk about it. But it doesn't make us more significant. It doesn't change your significance because you have so much stuff or get to do more things. It's not the way of Christ. I'm not knocking you if you're rich. I don't look. It's not a sin to be have money and things. That's not what I'm talking about. I am making sure that we are clear that it is not tied to your significance because when we tie it to our significance, it's much more difficult to set it aside to make sure somebody else is more significant than us. In humility, lower yourself, right? Stoop down to make sure others 
are counted more significant. Verse four says, let each of you, not the pastors or the church workers, not the superstar Christians, but each of those of you who have given their lives over to Jesus Christ, those of you who have confessed him as Lord and Savior, those who are walking in repentance, those of you who would say, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Christ. If you're not a believer, you're off the hook right now. This is for the church. It is. This is who this is for. Those who claim Christ as Savior. Let each of you look not only to his own interest. So here again. It's okay to look to your interests. It's okay to make sure you're cared for. It's not saying that you degrade yourself so much you don't have anything to offer. That's not what the scripture's saying. It's not demeaning your significance and it's not taking away your ability to care for yourself confidently and holistically. He says, but don't just look after your own interests, but also to what? The interests of others. The interests of others. Now, I'm not your judge. I'm not the spirit of God. I'm just telling you what it says. And our job is to take this and assess our life. When you read the scriptures, when we talk about it in a sermon or you're reading it on your own at home, it is not to look at it and go, man, I wish everybody else would do that better. You can do that because you know some people that need to do it better. But the first person is to look and go, okay, I'm caring. We all know we're caring for our own interests. By and large, the majority of people are caring for their own interests. That's how we operate. The question is, are you also looking to the interests of others? Caring more about others than you do yourself. And you're like, well, Johnny, where is this? Do we have an example? Why, yes. Yes, we do. Verse five, this first part of verse five, or the whole verse five, it says, have this Mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That phrase, which is yours in Christ Jesus, can also say, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this mind about you. John chapter 10 says it like this. This is Jesus talking just so, you know, Paul's great, but Jesus is better. Let's talk about it and see what he says about it. John chapter 10 Right? He's talking about how I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice and I know my sheep and they know me. At the end of the section, it says this. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. You see what's happening here? Jesus came to live the life that we could not, cannot live so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for us. And what does it says? He has authority to lay down his life and to take it. It says nobody actually takes his life. So you're like, well, the, you know, the, the, Jew, the Jewish leaders killed him and they crucified him. Yeah, physically, they did that, but Jesus laid his life down on his own accord. He chose on purpose in humility to lower himself for the benefit of you and I, for the whole world, in fact. This is Philippians 2, 3 to 5, in practice. He did not take his position. His significance didn't change, right? His significance didn't change. He was connected to God the whole time. And then he chose on purpose to lay down his life. And here's the hard part. We're like, that sounds good for us. It doesn't seem very fair to Jesus, though, does it? Because nowhere else in the world... Does somebody take the consequences for somebody else on purpose? Unless you were guilty also. 
Think about it. It starts when we're little kids. Running around, your parents tell you, don't run around the house. Knock over your mom's favorite lamp. Smashes to pieces. Kids, you stand there. Yes, ma'am. You know your brother did it. Who did it? He did it. As quick as you can, right? Nobody ever stands and goes, mom, I did it. That doesn't ever, that's just not our human experience. This is not how we operate. We blame. This is at the, at the Garden of Eden. This is how it works, right? Who did? She did it. The snake did it. Jesus lays down his life on purpose and he goes on. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. And he chose to make sure that you knew your significance when he laid down his life for you to his detriment and death. You're writing things down here. It'll be up here if you want to look at it. The humility of Christ brings us peace with God because through his death, his life, death, and resurrection, you can have peace with the full, complete wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ for the sin of the whole world that you and I created. We're the ones that caused the problem. We're the ones that broke our relationship with God. We're the ones separated from God, not him. And in humility, he looked after our interests. In humility, he made sure that we understood our significance when he gave his life and it brought us peace with God. And as believers, our humility is what will bring peace with others. The coming of Christ offers you peace and as believers, as we follow him, we get to usher in peace in the world as well. We get to participate, if going back to the first one, participate in that work of bringing peace through humility. Through humility. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also and was also in Christ Jesus. Consideration. Consideration. If we spent the next week two weeks, 10 years, 50 years, figuring out how to do this thing, considering others more important than ourselves, the whole world would in fact change. And it's not because we would be better, it was because we would be obedient. It wouldn't be because we have something cool inside of us, but because Jesus showed the way. We used to do camp, um, and I generally, when I was a pastor, youth pastor, kids pastor, my kids were miserable because they never got to win anything because I wouldn't let them because it's cheating, right? I just wouldn't anybody want to think anybody that was fixed so my kids never got anything, even if they won. They're like, no, you didn't win. I'm sorry. Somebody else won. <laughs> sorry about you. But I was at camp. I wasn't running camp. I was at camp. My youngest was at camp. She's in hate that I told this story. And they give awards at the camp, cleanest cabin, and oh, most spirit, and what all the cool camp awards, right? There's one award that I was in my heart saying, win this one. And it was called the Me Third Award. This award was given to a, a, a student, a, a young man or a young woman who exemplified others-centeredness. And it was the only, actually, the only award I really actually cared about. 
I thought it was the most important award that we gave any student. And they were giving out the awards, you know. She didn't win a soccer match. She didn't win valedictorian. But they called my daughter's name for the Me Third Award, and I was like, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's like when you're proud of a pastor's kid, right? When the pastor's kids do what everybody expects them to do. But it was because of who she is. I didn't tell her about it beforehand. Nobody asked her. She showed it. And I was so proud. The principle is this. You put God first. You put others second. And me third. God first, others second, and me third. How do we do this? Just a couple things and we'll be done. The first is this, according to Philippians chapter two, the first is this, you must assess your motives. You must assess your motives. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you telling this person what you're telling them? Is it for your own gain or for theirs? Is it selfish ambition? Or because you deserve something that you think you deserve? Assess your motives. If we're gonna walk and be me third kind of people, The second, that humility matters. Confident lowliness leads to peace with others. Knowing that you have position but not needing to assert it puts you in a position to build others up and to walk the way that Jesus did. Lead the way in consideration for others. The word count or consider, the Greek there means, it in fact means lead. There's this idea of leadership. There's this idea of leading the way in this. So lead the way in consideration for others. Be confident in who you are in Christ. Be confident. And then let that confidence cause you to make sure somebody else knows more, knows their significance and their worth and their value because you don't need that anymore because you have that already. Lead the way in consideration for others. And the last one is this, have the mind of Christ, not the way of the world. This is not the cultural norm, humility. Pride and self-promotion, arrogance and ego is the call of the day. Go watch any motivational speaker, especially if you are a man. Right, there's this idea of being an alpha male. I'm not talking about not being confident in who you are as a man and being okay with what God has called you to do. I won't diminish what your role on the earth is, but pride, ego, and arrogance are not the way of Christ. You can stand tall, proud, and humble to serve others. That's actually the man that changes the world. That's actually the man that will love his wife. That's the man who will lead his family. That's the man who will protect when he's supposed to protect and give when he's supposed to give. The man who is humble and confident in his significance in Christ will be the one who leads the way well in considering others. It is not weakness to consider others more important than yourselves. Jesus showed the way and we need to follow his lead. Isaiah chapter 53, five says it like this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that what? Brought us 
peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The celebration of Advent is remembering that his coming brought us peace by his blood, his chastisement and his crushing, his life for our life. If you're a believer, I hope this is encouraged. This should encourage you. This should give you new life. This should give you stable footing, right, to make the adjustments. And if you're not a believer and you want peace, the first way is actually in humility to come to God to confess your sin and, re- and, and live a life of repentance, which means turning away from what you want all the time and doing what he wants and surrendering everything over to him. That's where peace comes from. And in that same humility, we get to offer peace. I'm gonna ask you a couple questions. How would this kind of mindset change your life tomorrow or today when you go home, when you drive, when you shop, right? Like we talked about. One specific question I want to ask you. If we were to consider others more important than ourselves and count others more significant and look to their interests, what does that look like in failure? When your wife or husband fails you or your kids fail you or your pastor fails you, I'm sorry, or your boss or your employees or your friends, or your party, or whatever, whomever fails you. How do we apply this to that? How do we help people be more significant in their failure and in our failure? He shows the way by giving himself up. Our good came from his detriment, in fact, his death. And as we look towards his second coming, that he would find us doing the same thing. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your scriptures and your word. Thank you, God, that your love is tremendous. In fact, it is so big, it's hard to take in and is even more difficult to do because, God, we would have to confess our egos and our pride. Father, that we consider ourselves more important than everybody else, and that is difficult to get rid of. So we ask for your help in this, Lord. Forgive us, Father, for not having humility. Forgive us, God, for letting our pride get the best of us. Forgive us, God, for believing that our significance matters more than somebody else's, that our interests matter more than somebody else's. And give us the wisdom, Lord, to draw the boundaries where people would take advantage and manipulate. We're not meant to be doormats. Lord, we need help. We want to follow you, Jesus. Walk us through, Lord. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with our current sermon series, you can subscribe with us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Cypress app to find community in the body of Christ.